You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens. Chapter 7 Trusting Chaos Washington, October 28th, 1883 Truth wheeled Harry in her bath chair through the streets of the District of Columbia. The city seemed darker now to Harry, colourless, even as the fall sun gazed down upon them. Harry did not look directly at the people they passed, but she could feel their eyes on her. And on truth. Some of their looks were malevolent, and Harry could feel something she hadn't before in the back of her teeth. It was hatred. Theirs. Hers. Truth herself was relieved to have gotten her sister this far without an outburst, but she was doubly relieved that marching beside her were an escort of Stone Company agents granted by Catherine. Being Deputy Director of the National Intelligence Agency had its perks, and one of them was increased security. All the same, both she and Harry were wearing bullet-resistant dresses. Every time Truth thought about her mother's decision not to wear her armour on that crucial day. The creeping paranoia that her father always exhibited grew firmer in her mind. Mistrust was a survival instinct, not a flaw. Their house isn't this way. Harry muttered. It was the first thing she had said in 40 minutes, and Truth craned in behind her. Not their most recent house, she corrected. Harry fell silent once more as Truth rounded a corner and pulled up onto the curb beside their old residence. The street looked different to how it had eight years before. Much had been repaired and the buildings were now painted blue, but Harry recognized their windows and their front door. A family from Des Moines, Iowa live here now, Truth said as the uniformed agents around them took up point to watch for hostile intentions. So, you see, life has gone on. A bunch of white people are living in our old house. Harry growled. She looked up at her sister. And you brought me here, hoping that fact would make me feel better? Truth gritted her teeth and overcame the compulsion to dump her sister out onto the cobblestones. I was going to say, I hope they kept your invention working, but they probably don't appreciate it. Let's go to Mother and Father's house and rest. As she was wheeled away, Harry cast her mind back. Washington, June 17th, 1875. Eight years ago. Time had passed since Harry had last attended a school, and Thomas Arlington returned home once again, now both weary and wary. He wheeled behind him a small handcart loaded with used copper tubing. And as he struggled to heave it in through the front door, Harry rushed to meet him, flinging her arms around his waist and squeezing. She was now twelve years old and growing tall and slim. I think that should be enough to start this one off, she declared, kneeling beside and hefting the dusty pipes in her hands. Did you get the drill too? Thomas paused before uncovering the hand-cranked tool from under a dirty rag in the corner of the handcart. Can you just go easy on the walls? Don't make holes you don't need to. Be absolutely precise. Truth stepped up and placed her hands upon her hips, 
She'll have me to help her this time. I'll make sure everything looks nice and neat. No landlord would pass up the opportunity to boast of a property with a state-of-the-art, room-to-room communication system. I've dealt with more landlords than you have. I know many who would. Well, I believe Harry can make it work. And you wouldn't be letting us do this if you didn't feel the same. Their father passed through into the lounge and slumped down on the couch beside Frederick. Now nine years old, he was the image of Thomas at that age, with a seriousness and an intensity in those deep brown eyes. He had given up capitalizing on the fallback of being the youngest sibling and retired his voice in a house where truth mostly held dominion. Now he only spoke when he had something important and sensible to say, and it was always in a tone of matter-of-factness. It was worse today, Dad, the boy asked, gravely shutting his book. Wasn't it? Thomas laid a hand on his shoulder in quiet recognition and ruminated on how to word what was barreling around inside his head, too frightening to state plainly. Sarah moved into the room and sat beside him in solidarity as Harry inspected the copper piping to find the least damaged lengths. Eventually, Thomas settled upon the facts. My employers aren't sure how essential to daily life a law firm is going to be right now. Our most important clients have all fled the city. Truth and I got sent home from school early. They said we might not be back. So what's happening? Are you already looking for another job? You've been saying this would happen for ages. Yeah, I think I've secured one already. It's a captainship in the militia. They let you in? And they even let you lead? I thought the militia was white as a picket fence. Thomas nodded, barely able to comprehend it himself. They're short on leadership. So many of them fled. Several more committed... Uh, several more weren't able to take the pressures of a leadership role. The monsters. That's what this is, isn't it? They've been seen close to the city, haven't they? The infection is back and it's gonna get worse. Frederick's face was now riven with palpable anxiety and even Harry let her new materials fall to the floor with a clatter as she overheard this. But we're safe in the city, right? We have been for years. Everywhere else has been overrun. It was always only a matter of time. That's what Dad says. <sighs> Truth Arlington. Sarah declared. You're scaring your brother and sister. But that's what's happening, isn't it? Sarah leaned in towards her husband and asked him quietly. Is it? Slowly, he nodded. I'm afraid she's not exaggerating. Well, that may be the case. But unless you learn to handle news like that in a sensible way, all you're ever going to do is instigate people to panic. Sarah locked eyes on her daughter. Sorry, Mama. I'll be careful how I say things from now on. Be sure that you do. Sarah insisted, a new hardness in her voice. Panic is something that nobody asks for and nobody wants. It doesn't help anyone good. It only makes matters worse. The only time you should permit panic is when you can seclude yourself inside a quiet room and allow a moment to feel it, embrace the instinctual breakdown, then have your fill and move on. I can see an absolute worst case situation approaching. Thomas! No, I'm gonna say this. They're old enough to take on board the facts. I can see the telltale clues unfolding 
and I can accurately predict how people are going to behave. Then we will use your new position of influence and make sure as many people as possible are ready. The things you and I have discussed out of little earshot, those are all plans that can help. We simply have to get them to the right people. And don't say it can't be done, because I've seen you claw yourself out of hell and damnation itself to get all of us to a place of safety and peace. Thomas, you are the most vital man I have ever met. Proud, strong, fierce, and smarter than any of them. She laid her hand upon his heart. We can do this. A calm, stirring sensation settled upon the room as Truth gazed across at her mother with deep admiration in her eyes. Thomas blinked and reached up to frame his wife's face with his fingers. My darling, I don't think I tell you often enough what a genius you are. Beyond all clumsy mathematical definitions of the word, you are a genius of empathy and inspiration. And forgetting that fact is something I shall remedy. He stood and cricked his neck, rolling feeling back into his shoulders. I'm ready to lead these people, and I'm not going to be afraid to speak my mind. He gestured to the children, and you can all be of use as well. These plans your mother and I have had will require everyone to help. Washington, October 26th, 1883. Harry sat in the spot she had crawled to, up against the bookcases in the back wall of her father's cellar retiring room. The billiard table stood, with balls scattered in the various places they had come to rest before its final game was put on hold. The fireplace was home to nothing but a cold ash pile. The worn sabres on the walls had collected a layer of dust to tarnish their bright metal hilts. In the centre of the room sat the bath chair. <sighs> Harry caught her breath with the effort it had taken to get this far, then climbed up the bookcase to lay her fingers on the black, leather-bound copy of The Prisoner of If, or The Revenge of Monte Cristo. The book extended with a click which started a larger mechanism and Harry clung on as the whole case rolled out to reveal a wooden doorway. Harry muscled around it, propped herself up, palmed the spare key that had been hidden in the ornamental coffee pot, and ratcheted the lock open. The door swung back, becoming the yawning mouth of a darkened tunnel. The smell of the place was what fired Harry up the most as she gazed into the inky blackness, old stone, dry roots and earth. She fancied she could see torches lit down there in the Nordstrom tunnels beneath Columbia. Here was an escape. Here was a place to hide, perhaps even to heal. Harry propped her shoulder to the doorframe and simply sat, gazing down into that abyss, waiting. People are predictable. People are predictable, and they fail you, and they disappoint you. 
Upstairs, at the front of the house, Truth watched through the curtains as two agents laboured with whitewash to obscure what had been daubed on the front walls. Dead niggers. Washington, November 3rd, 1883. It was the night before Truth would be accompanying James and Abigail to the far-frozen north, along with Mr. White and Agent Lee. So she was trying her level best to say goodbye to Harry. She wheeled her sister down the hallways of the quiet, nighttime reflection of Langley. What do you think was in that orb? Truth asked, a little too breezily. I don't know. Let's guess. Let's not. You're right, it'll probably reveal itself at some opportune moment. I'll keep an eye on Abigail for you. Don't worry so. I can't believe you're going to be working with him. I'm not working with him. If anything, I'm keeping him in check. Maintaining Catherine's presence in RSA business. It sure was nice to see Raven after so long, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen him since... that... Yeah, came back the long way, and it took him three months. I suppose that shows how fast Thundercloud is, relative to any other way of getting around this country. Fastest doesn't mean best. I figured you'd say that. Truth forced a smile and pulled up outside the hangar. Because I have a present for you. What? There was a listlessness to this, and Truth could feel her slipping away. So she turned the crank on the pressure door and opened up to the inside. The asset sat in the corner covered with a tarpaulin, where and how she had asked for it to be. Truth wheeled Harry along the gantry to the slow-moving electrical cargo platform that had been built on one side. She flipped the switch and they began to descend. The platform juddered with the effort. It had been set up to allow Harry simple access in and out of this complex of rooms, but it had barely been used since its installation in September. Harry was looking at the shape, and as they reached the floor, her sister was fairly certain she knew what was under there. Wheeling her out in front, Truth walked smartly over and with some theatricality, grabbed one edge of the top and walked herself backwards, unveiling the battered, blackened, buckled, dynamite-blasted remains of Steamheart. Harry stared through the wreckage blankly. Well? Well, what? Well, this is your present. You can start work on repairing her while I'm away, and, and then show me what you've done when I get back. Harry did not move. Truth clenched and unclenched her sweating fists. You've got to do something. And if it was your steam craft getting blown up at the same time as your accident that made you like this, then, then I figured it would be healthy to see to one of those things, and you never know. You might get over the other. Harry looked at her, now scowling. That is a corpse. Truth's heart sank. You might as well dump Annie's coffin in front of me and tell me to fix her. Wait. She ain't coming back 
and neither is Steamheart. My baby is ruined. This last part was harsh and broken as Harry violently threw her hand down on her right wheel and turned towards her convalescing room. Wait. Harry, this isn't fair. You don't have to try to fix it, but you do have to understand how worried I am about you. Then don't worry about me. The chair slipped as she roughly jammed the wheels, and Harry collapsed out of it onto the floor. Truth rushed forward to pick her up, but her sister bellowed at her. Keep your hands off me. You're always interfering. Just, just fuck off, Truth. And with that, she half lurched, half crawled across the hard stone floor and into her sick bay, slamming the door shut behind her. Truth stood, her hands frozen in the empty air of the hangar. She shook herself and turned her attention to the next practical thing to be done. Clearly this broken old hull wasn't wanted, so she should cover it back up again. She tried in vain three times to get the tarpaulin back over its form, but it kept catching on ragged, broken edges. She could feel an explosion coming, but pushed it down, refusing to allow it purchase. The fourth time she attempted this task, the tarp ripped in the middle, and this was enough to throw her off entirely. Truth collapsed, alone and sobbing, into her arms. Her back pressed up against the wreckage, all semblances of control in tatters. <laughs> Washington, November 16th, 1875 Eight years ago Thomas Arlington sat with his back to the locked bedroom door A pistol in his hand And a facial expression somewhere between blank uncertainty And scarring horror Behind, from within the room Screams and roars coming from a thin throat cut through him like so many sharpened bayonets. They were accompanied by sounds of destruction, splintering wood, tearing sheets, and metal piping being wrenched from the walls. To his right, Sarah set down the travel bags as a twelve-year-old Truth buttoned her twin's heavy wool overcoat. Sarah knelt, trying to catch Thomas's eye. Are we leaving together? His focus returned, bringing along with it a boundless sorrow, which made Sarah's heart break. I'll be out in a moment. Close the door behind you, and do not open it again, was all he would say. Sarah bit back the overwhelm. That would not do at all when so many of her loved ones depended on her right now. She led the girls past their father, down the stairs to ground level and out of the front door, where they stood in the cold, darkened street, hearing screams upon the breeze and smelling the acrid, mingled smoke of house fires. Sarah gripped Thomas's Springfield rifle and held the girls close as they waited. Back inside, Thomas's mind clicked into survival mode. He knew his wife and two daughters were now standing in the street exposed and that every second he spent in here would leave them increasingly vulnerable. He had an extremely limited amount of time to do what must be done in order to join them and facilitate their exit towards the city of Manassas, where America's government was currently regrouping. Two options presented themselves to him. He must choose one of them in the next five seconds, or the risk to his family would increase with every wasted moment after that. 
One, he could stand, move to the front door, and join them, leaving the creature that was formerly Frederick locked in the bedroom. Within a few days, the animal would die of thirst before it would be able to starve to death. If it had wounded itself, that time span would be quicker. Two, he could stand, unlock the bedroom door, and put a bullet between the animal's eyes. This presented a great risk to himself, as the Wendigo would almost certainly move to attack him, might overpower him, and could potentially then attack Sarah if she opened the front door. But he had given her express instructions not to. Thomas weighed up every possibility, every permutation of chance, and by the fourth second, he had his response. He stood, turned, and unlocked the bedroom door, letting it swing back. The thin light of dawn illuminated only part of the room. The creature stayed in that surrounding darkness, where the carcass of his dead attacker lay. But Thomas could hear breathing. He recognized those lungs. He had sat up nights, reading to this child, until Frederick had drifted off to sleep. This was the weakness. This was what had prevented people from killing the things their beloveds had become, and in turn, spread the infection. He must be better than that. A face hove into view, orange eyes watching him. Thomas gritted his teeth and raised his pistol mechanically. This prompted a strange half-breath from within the room. The creature was uncertain. Frederick still existed in some form. And with the squeeze of a trigger, he no longer would. And that would be that. Thomas breathed. So did Frederick. Thomas shut the door, but did not lock it. He looked across to the far end of the parlour where a hastily arranged barricade had been put back up to block the smashed-in window. It led out to a back alley on the other side of the building. Thomas moved across the disarrayed room and hauled the barricade aside, creating an opening. He then fired off a single shot into the ceiling. Hearing a muffled reaction from inside the child's little bedroom. He swiftly moved to the front door, opened it up to find his girls waiting for him. With resignation, he shut the door behind them. This would be the one occasion he would allow himself to submit to chance. But nobody was ever to know this. He would not be an ambassador for chaos. have been listening to episode 7 of Stone Spring Maidens, Trusting Chaos, written, edited and directed by Alexander Shaw. Truth Arlington, performed by Theo Lee. Sarah Arlington, performed by Maureen Foley. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Frederick Arlington, performed by Felix Quist. Narrator and Thomas Arlington, performed by Alex Shaw. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Relaxing Piano Music, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including New Orleans Noir and Protean Fields, by Tabletop Audio. 
Stone Spring Maidens is available in a gorgeous paperback from Amazon.com, along with the previous nine stories from the New Century Multiverse, and the two newest, Panther Soul and Nightfall of the Wendigo. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hebner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicol, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. <laughs>